Welcome to another episode of Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, Justin? I have been doing the Christmas present purge where we, we get rid of uh, some old toys that the kids weren't playing with anymore. So we've been we've been very strategically moving through the house, put on a movie for the kids so we could take out some of their old toys so they wouldn't get oh. upset seeing them. Um, you know, heading out to Goodwill and, and in the trash, depending on what it is. Um, so, so that's been my morning and my day, uh, getting ready for, um, the, the Christmas hall, so to speak, uh, and getting ready for, for new gifts to be played with and everything. So, um, so that's, that's the exciting stuff in my life right now on Sunday. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, nothing too much other than, um, just had a box opening accident, um, but other than that, I'm mm. pretty good. Um, just, I just want to ask you, how did that go with your kids? Taking, did they didn't notice some of your, their toys were gone, or? No, they just think that uh, their rooms are really clean right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so we have successfully deceived our children. Because <laughs> my brother, he with his toys, especially he loves cars. So even when he was younger, he if we were taking a one car, he would notice it immediately. Um, just because he was so um, such a massive car fan, so I was wondering if if maybe your kids were the same way with their toys. I, th- I think we did a good job of keeping some of the key sentimental toys that that they would really notice if they were gone. And, and we we still had stuff from uh, right after my daughter was born. We still had some uh, like rattles and things like that that were in miscellaneous yeah. boxes. So just getting rid of a lot of the the stuff like that. Uh, so, so, so far, so good. I don't know. I, I will <laughs> certainly update you guys <laughs> if that changes. Will do. But uh, anyways, um, going back to basketball, what a week has it been? Um, My goodness. Seems like so much. Normally, yeah, normally, you know, we have the summer of great free agency, the anticipation of who is going where. But instead, it's all pretty much bunched into it in a week of just off-season moves. So we're going to recap that. We're going to break down also the NBA draft, and we're going to break down the reactions to Clay Thompson's injuries. So let's get into it. Some unfortunate news, and oh, it's just brutal news to see. And this is something I think that in modern NBA, we see a lot more, and something I appreciate um, compared to, you know, when we were – you know, kids and watching the game is when a star player gets injured, just the support that the rest of the NBA has for their fellow teammates. Um, that's something that you probably wouldn't see. I, I bet if Jordan, you know, if he ruptured his Achilles and, you know, got injured, I, you wouldn't see other um, people that played against him wishing him a speedy recovery. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. it's, it's refreshing to see that with, with Clay Thompson. Um such an unfortunate injury. Um, a lot of people were just hoping maybe he just sprained his knee. Maybe it was just a lighter injury, but it came out um, earlier that, in fact, um, he did tear his Achilles tendon and hit the other knee. Um, so not the knee that he injured a previous season, but um, I think bleed was the right knee. Um, and this was during, I believe, just a pickup game. Um with some former NBA players and he just, he just tore it. And I'm just, just, I'm paraphrasing here, but watching the report from Woj, um, he was just on the side devastated and the other players were silent. And I think they knew it was inevitable. So I, I want to ask you just reaction of this, Matt. I, 
I don't know, maybe I'm overly sensitive about this, but I was kind of offended, to be honest, by some of the media labeling Clay Thompson as fragile, um, labeling him as his best days are behind him. Um, certainly with this Achilles tendon injury, you know, him coming back, the, the major questions is him moving laterally and him, mm-hmm. you know, defending. I think, you know, the jump shot, I think it's the last to go, right? You've seen Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, how old they are, are they? They can still shoot. <laughs> Kenny can still shoot. They just can't move, right? So I think for Clay Thompson, it, are the media members being a little bit overreacting in terms of this injury affecting him the rest of his career in terms of him defensively and him kind of moving laterally without the ball? Because I think I even heard a stat that he had the most yards logged out of any NBA player, I think one season, something like that, just because of how much he moves throughout the court. So he kind of put in reference this injury. And then if you can, I'm only giving you a lot, but you know, Kevin Durant is, you know, a very similar injury. Um, As a point of comparison, which player do you think can has a better shot of recovering from this brutal injury? Mm, great questions. I, I like the way you put those uh, to answer just bluntly. First of all, I would say Kevin Durant, because you can play him under the rim a little bit more. You can get him away from the perimeter. He has more size and length than Clay Thompson does. Although Clay Thompson, of course, is a great size for a shooting guard slash small forward um, but I think Kevin Durant is is still more versatile, uh, the more elite scorer, which is really saying something since, you know, we had that crazy 60 point game where Clay Thompson, you know, famously took only 11 dribbles to score 60 points. So he's certainly uh, to your point. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's worried about his offensive production. What needs to be seen is that lateral movement, like you said which will impact his defense. And and I got to say, I love Clay Thompson. You mentioned his, you know, he has the highest Q score in the league, to put it simply. Like everybody loves Clay Thompson. Even if you really strongly dislike the Warriors, I would be willing to bet you're at least okay with Clay Thompson. And if you aren't, then I kind of question you as as a basketball fan and, and a little bit as a human being. Just seems like a very, very nice person uh, with with a mellow attitude very funny sense of humor uh so with that out of the way look i i i don't know it, it seems very up in the air to me and we're just gonna have to wait and see you know the the reports from the training staff that i have seen are all very positive in terms of like the location of the tear the the nature of the tear they say that indicates good chance of recovery uh, I do think, you know, the the recovery modalities now are so advanced that that we do see players come back from horrific injuries. I mean, you you remember when Paul George had that horrific leg injury, which is different sure than this. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people thought maybe his playing days were done. Excellent that point. That's true. You know, maybe four years ago, I want to say. Yeah, um, it was the uh, U.S. Uh, USA. Uh, team uh, scrimmage in Las Vegas. Correct. So, so I do think clay is going to come back and still be an elite scorer an elite shooter. Cause he can, he can practice a lot of that while he's rehabbing to an extent. I mean, maybe not, you know, full on jump shot, but he can still keep his shooting intact. Uh, but I, I do really worry 
about his his defense. And furthermore, I, I think we might be now out of the title window for the Warriors, which is is kind of weird to say, but I I just don't know with another year how much of a threat they're gonna be for the title with Draymond, Steph, and Clay being the um, the central core of that team. I, I don't know if if Clay's injury puts them now out of title contention. I, I'm really honestly worried about that, and I, and I don't intend to like overreact to this. But Clay's defense on the perimeter was very crucial to this team, and I I just can't say right now that he's going to have that. And and again, I love Clay Thompson. I hate to give any negative take about this, but you know, we, we have an aging backcourt now with the splash brothers in in golden state. Um, I mean, Curry, assuming he comes back well is, um, you know, always a threat, but, but I just don't know that they're going to have enough with how it's constructed. I don't know. Do you think, do you think maybe I'm overreacting with, with that point of view a little bit? Um, I want to ask ask you for clarification. Do you think that their championship run is over with this roster, or do you think some offseason moves could change that? Because, you know, look at the Clippers, right? That's a perfect example with um, Blake Griffin and I believe with Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan. Like, their window was closed, but yet they made some offseason moves. They got Paul George. They got Kawhi. Then they're back as contenders. So, are you saying as this roster constructed or do you think just in general as a franchise? Oh, well, I think they have a great structure. They have a great franchise in place. You know, I mean, assuming people don't overreact, look, everyone's going to give Steve Kerr the benefit of the doubt, right? With, with Clay Thompson being out. Absolutely. So it's hard for me to imagine he gets the boot, even if, you know, they miss the playoffs this next season, which, which they may very well with, Steph Curry and uh, Draymond, if, if Draymond's comes in motivated, which I think he will, they could very well, you know, make the playoffs still certainly. Um, but getting the news that clay is, you know, out for the entire season already is, is devastating. I mean, I don't think anyone now considers them in contention for the title. Like, like you kind of needed clay for that. And I, I don't know that clay coming back is on the level that this roster as constructed, they can still be a title contender. I, I think this might push them out of that elite, like top three seed in the, in the West type of category. Um, and, and maybe that's overkill. Maybe they're going to get some new roster pieces that can help out with that. Maybe the guys that they, they currently have on the roster, you know, like Andrew Wiggins, maybe that's going to help out with perimeter defense. If that's, that becomes, you know, his, his main focus on the team. But I don't know. I, to be honest, I, I just don't like their chances. You look at how um, rare it is for windows to stay open with, with the same players on the roster. Uh, I mean, you look at the Miami heat had a four year run. Uh, You look, you look at all these, these teams, you know, even like the Kobe and Shaq Lakers, which granted that was much more due to chemistry issues uh, and, and the chemistry on the Warriors team seems intact. Uh, but I, but I do think we, we've gone, you know, five years of elite level Warriors teams. I mean, ex- except for last year, which was due to injuries. Um, and I, I think we're most likely out of that window now with the core players of this roster. And we'll see, I, I would be happy to be proven wrong 
but that's just my guess right now in that we're having to put the pause button for the next year on this team again. I agree with you. I, so I think there's two frames of reference and I think there needs to be some clarification when discussing a team's championship window. Right. Um, I think Golden State as a destination for free agents, as shown by Kevin Durant, it can attract um, quality free agents, even with DeMarcus Cousins, even though that was a weird situation. Nevertheless, he ended up there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say to a way lesser degree, even though it might sound a little bit ridiculous, but he was a contributor, JaVale McGee. So, he, and, you know, even look at, you know, something you know, like an Andrew Wiggins situation, but I believe that was a trade, though. But I guess my point is, is that, they have kind of retooled the roster over the years. And I think with Golden State, there's a massive question marks that I'm not ready to quite write them off completely in terms of a title contender moving forward in the future. I want to, so I want to, it might sound like I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm kind of, I'm really not. Like, I think this upcoming season, I think their chances are none with Clay Thompson being hurt. Sure. I'll say that. At the same time, I think. You know, if James Wiseman does turn out to be something, that could be a massive thing to this team. Then all of a sudden, if James Wiseman turns out to be a all-star player, then Clay and Steph, they don't have to be in their primes, right? They, they they're they're running an old school, you know, you know, dish the ball inside, kick it out for three. I mean, it's going to be kind of an old school offense type of scenario with just really two of the greatest shooters who ever lived. Um, and you have, you know, Draymond Green being more of your Dennis Rodman type of figure along with Wiseman mentoring him. So it kind of depends on James Wiseman. I mean, I hate to put all this pressure on him. I know some people are saying, oh, Andrew Wiggins, like, what is he going to do to this team? But they, they go where Wiseman goes. If he proves to be an all-star, and let's just say Golden State, you know, even I would say gets the, you know, five to eight seed, that's because of James Wiseman being a factor on this team. And if that's the case, I am very, if I'm the rest of the league, I am very worried about the Warriors um, because, you know, they, they got this high draft pick. And you get even a Clay Thompson who, if he comes back 50%, they're going to be highly dangerous. So, I'm not ready to write them off as like, okay, they're done. Trade everybody, blow up the team. It's over. I, I think we're far from that. Um, at the same time, this is such a massive blow um, to the team itself. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think, I think we, we agree for the most part. I mean, main sure. thing I'm saying is there's a real chance that it's over. And and I think we agree that this is this is going to be so we we have this off season going on right now. The next off season is going to be really pivotal in determining that because we see erosion of these title team rosters where you know you you have to spend more money to keep your star players obviously because you get into long term max contract deals with these guys. And that starts to erode the bench. I mean, think of again the Miami Heat in that LeBron James era. You know, where the first time, the first year they all got together, they all took less money. You had a pretty deep roster. I mean, kind of a weird roster around them, to be honest, but some some very familiar names. And as you kept going through each year, that bench starts to erode and you're looking to get, you know, veteran minimum salaries, things like that to help fill the gaps. And you're kind of rolling the dice on that or you're looking to get, you know, those younger pieces in the late oftentimes late first round draft picks that's you know your point about James Wiseman is valid 
I, I don't know that he's going to be an all-star caliber player. Uh, Me either. As, I, as you said, we'll have to wait and see how that plays yeah. out. But, I mean, you look at the main pieces on the roster. Obviously, you have Steph Curry, and he's going to be great no matter what. Um, you've got Andrew Wiggins, who's a big question mark, who is honestly, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean here, but has been somewhat of a, a disappointment, I think is fair to say, uh, in terms of his career. Hopefully they can, you know, kind of rehab that in Golden State, and maybe he can contribute more on on a team with as great a chemistry and great uh, of an infrastructure as the Warriors have. Then you have Draymond Green, you have James Wiseman, and those are really, you know, and then you have Clay Thompson, obviously. So that that's a great starting five, you would think. But then, you know, you go into the names on the bench, and, and there are a lot of guys, to be honest, that, I mean, I, I could read their names off right now, like Juan Toscano Anderson, and I can't tell you anything about him. Um, so... You know, you you could blame me for that, but but I think my my point being that you're asking guys who are maybe unqualified to contribute heavily uh, into some playoff expectations, and I, I just don't know that that's there. But you know, they're they're going to be given a pass for this next season with Clay Thompson being out for the year. Hopefully, they can you know compete to be a playoff seed because I think everyone wants to see Steph Curry and and certainly Draymond Green in the playoffs. Uh, at least competing for a round or two. And you never know. You get to the playoffs with Steph Curry. Maybe he can go off for a round or two. But but I think, yeah, title hopes, like you said, um, are out the window for this season. Um, before we move on to the NBA draft, I want to talk to you about this. We brought this up with our guest, uh, Trevor Lane, earlier. But um, just with the Warriors planning on restarting the season with 50% capacity of their fans, I, it was very ambitious. I saw some Warriors representation saying they're going to test everybody every game, players, personnel, fans. Do you see this as realistic just with all the virus cases going up? I'm just kind of wondering. It, it just seems pretty weird to me how they're – they plan to enact this when we're going through such an intense time with this pandemic. Um, and I, we've seen other sports where they're getting an exemption. Like for instance, the UFC is getting a pass in Las Vegas uh, for the time being. Uh, we've seen like the WWE, other promotions, top, top ranked boxing, them getting exemptions. Do you think the NBA will somehow like be able to pull this off, especially with individual teams like the Warriors? I just think it's very ambitious and, I just don't understand it with this pandemic, whether, you know, you're, you can afford restrictions or not, just logistically how it's going to be possible to really pull the polls off. Yeah. I, you know, um, I think with the like health checks and verification like that, like as you buy your ticket and then heading into the stadium, that obviously helps. I think they should really have a pretty strong disclaimer about the risk that you're assuming going to a game. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've said before on this podcast that, that I'm pretty pro, you know, you as an individual assuming the risk. If you want to go to a basketball game in person, I definitely don't think you should go in person if, if you have pre-existing conditions. If you're in that high-risk category, I, I think that would be silly. But I also, you know, I, I'm not the boss of anyone else, so I'm not going to tell tell people what to do. I, I think the NBA should have a really, really strong disclaimer about that. Um, 
but I have, I think it's possible. You know, I was going to ask you as as you were mentioning that, and the Warriors specifically. We know that California is a pretty strict lockdown state. Uh, I, I think they still have some pretty strong restrictions in place, and are are kind of tightening the screws even even more so as we speak. Um, we know there's a, a curfew that's been implemented in um, in California. Do you know? Did they get the Warriors specifically get an exemption from the state legislature? I don't think so. That's not what I saw. Um, I'm wondering if Gavin Newsom, the governor, is is even going to allow them to do it. I mean, um, you know, it's it it does seem crazy right now in in a state with the population density that California has. I I don't know. It, it seems to me like you're going to have to pull it back to 25%. So so I think 50% like to to be more succinct in answering your question, I think 50% does seem unrealistic right now to me. Uh, 25% I, I see as doable, but I don't, I don't know that the state government's going to allow that to happen. Yeah, me either. Um, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, moving on, let's uh, recap the NBA draft real quick. I would say, I wouldn't say disappointing because there wasn't really that many expectations to begin with, but I'll run down the top picks here and we can kind of go over anything that catches our eye. Um, First pick, the Minnesota Timberwolves drafted Anthony Edwards. The Golden State Warriors, as we discussed earlier, chose James Wiseman. The Hornets selected LaMelo Ball. Um, the Chicago Bulls picked Patrick Williams. The Cleveland Cavaliers selected Isaac Okoro. The Hawks drafted Ayeke Anwagu. Probably screwed that up. Um, the Detroit Pistons drafted Killian Hayes. The Knicks got Obi Toppin. They seem to be really high on him. We'll have to see how it goes. Um, the Wizards got, um, I think, Denny Advaje. Um, and then the Suns drafted Jaden Smith. And then just running down some highlights, um, the Kings drafted Tyrese Halliburton. Um, the Celtics drafted Aaron Naismith. Um, and looking at it here, pretty much nothing else. Um, there are some trick picks being traded around. Um, the Trailblazers drafted Isaiah Stewart, uh, reportedly traded to the Pistons after first being dealt to the Rockets. Um, other than that, not really anything too shocking, I would say. Um, what are your thoughts on the draft? Any catch your eye, Matt, that maybe, you know, people maybe assumed wasn't a big deal that you saw that was like, oh, that shocked you? Or did things just go according to plan? Well, I, yeah, I think... Things went according to plan, especially if you look at like how the top three played out. It was clearly teams were looking to get the best player available, and that's just how it went down. That, And I think that's indicative of not having as much info, not having as many game, as much game film to be able to analyze. You know, obviously these, these guys not getting a March Madness to play in, things like that. You're kind of limited in, in scouting as well. So you had Anthony Edwards go first, like you mentioned, then Wiseman, then LaMelo. Those guys were projected to be the top three picks, projected on just about everyone I saw to be the top three most talented players in the draft. And, and it just so happened to fall that way. So so I think no major surprises with this draft. I mean, the the other thing I'll mention is, you know, there was a lot of talk about Killian Hayes, and he was a player that seemed um, a lot of draft experts were saying, you know, that he could go early or 
he could go um, very late. Like I think as late as like pick 20 in the draft, a lot of people were saying, but I think just him being a very recognizable name um, and, and the skill set that he brings got him drafted earlier at, at number seven, as you mentioned to the Pistons. Another thing that I think is maybe a swing and miss for the Suns, um, and, and this is something that that I'm regurgitating from um, Kevin O'Connor, who um, who had a podcast with with Bill Simmons this week, but um, he said that the Suns really missed on drafting Tyrese Halliburton at number ten. Um, as opposed to Jalen Smith, who they did draft. He he thought that was um, a missed opportunity, especially with the way that Halliburton would fit on that Suns roster now that they have Chris Paul. Hey, Suns have Chris Paul. We'll talk about that. Um, so that, that was another thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think pretty quiet night overall in, in the draft. I guess another thing uh, to point out is the Pelicans were really excited to get Kira Lewis Jr., that was the pick that they had had in mind the whole time. So, you know, so there's that. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I didn't see any major winners, losers. Uh, as, as far as draft night win, I, I certainly have stronger thoughts about free agency. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, the Warriors got a huge need with James Wiseman. And, and I think that's... Um, the big story along with LaMelo ball kind of being the franchise player now being, being the head of the franchise in Charlotte, we're going to see really quickly what he can do because he's, he's being thrust into that position there. Those will be some things uh, to look at. Uh, And then also seeing if, if Patrick Williams can contribute to that bulls team um, that, you know, obviously you're more familiar with what, what are your other thoughts on the draft though? Is, um, is there anything else you can add that, that you noticed? Um, not really. I, I like, you know, we talked about it. Like we, we weren't too familiar with these draft picks. Um, I think it's going to be kind of a wait and see mode. I think for me, just as a Bulls fan, I think it's good to see a new regime as a fresh approach. And like I said last week, you know, I'm not so much looking for record as if team camaraderie and just some hope for the future. So mm. I think with this pick, you know, um, Patrick Williams, we'll have to wait and see. You know, he's an athletic forward. Um, I would say with Chicago, they rarely have any bad draft picks that are really in the top 10 recently. I mean, keep in mind after the Jordan era, they're pretty terrible. But um, I would say... You know, in recent history, the last, I would say, I don't know, 10 years, um, they've made some nice picks over the years. Um, you think of Joe Kim Noah, Derek Rose, um, I believe Kirk Heinrich, um, several others. They, they've, they've made some nice picks. So I'm going to kind of trust, even though I kind of disagree with how they run their team and their player management, um, their draft pick selections seem to be on point for the most part. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Other than that, um, I think the most – it's weird because, you know, the, the top picks didn't really – they're kind of bagged on. But I'm compelled to see what these draft picks can do. This top uh, four, just because, you know, Patrick Williams went four to the Bulls. But um, just to see what Edwards, Wiseman, and Ball can do. Um, and particularly James Wiseman. I mean – you have Steve Kerr, who's a legendary coach, super player friendly, not to mention um, Clay and Steph, veterans, very approachable, and um, Draymond Green, who's a winner. 
I, I, as you know, as discussing it, I believe last week, it's hard for me to believe a player can't improve without having those players around them. It's just not fathomable in my opinion. So I'm compelled to see when the season starts, just to see how these rookies adjust in particular, James Wiseman. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, one of those teams to watch for, especially with under Billy Donovan. So yeah, it'll, it'll for sure be interesting to see how that roster develops and if, if they can contend to maybe like sliding into the seven or eight seed in the East. Um, you know, I, I think you would need a big resurgence from Laurie Markinen. And I, I think that's what's expected. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm really high on Laurie Markinen. And, well, you know, Zach Levine, it's been like a huge question mark. So we'll just have to wait and see there. All right, Matt, yeah. do you have any more in the draft or should we go to the main course? It's kind of like we had our kind of, you know, vegetables and now it's kind of get to the food we want to eat. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We had our side salad. Let's get to the uh, the steak, the, the the meat and potatoes, so to speak, uh, with these these free agency signings. So in no particular order, I just want to kind of lightning round these some some sure. quick thoughts on this. And if you have deeper thoughts, of course, go for it. Yeah. Um, but we had we had a lot of moves, I mean, especially on Friday night. But they are still continuing. Um, like like for example, we don't have to talk about this a ton, but the Lakers are trying to make cap room as we speak to try and acquire Marc Gasol, which I think would be another huge get for them. Uh, and, and they've already had a great free agency, as we'll talk about. Um, so that's going on. Um, you have you have other things that that we may talk about as topics later on um, in the works, like. Uh, John Wall is demanding a trade now from the Wizards, if you can believe that. Um, and we still have just an update from last week, you know, a situation in Houston where James Harden is trying to force his way to either the Nets or the Sixers. That has not been resolved. And Westbrook is still a Houston Rocket. So there are still many huge dominoes that could fall in place. Uh, the one I want to start off with is, is kind of a feel good signing, I guess you could say. Um, in that Carmelo Anthony, I, I just saw this on Twitter as we were, as oh, we were really? talking here on the podcast. Okay. Carmelo Anthony has agreed to another one-year deal to stay in Portland. He did give the Trailblazers preferential treatment because they were the franchise that that kind of bought him, brought him back into the league out of obscurity for that that time he was out of the league. So, any any quick thoughts on Carmelo back to Portland? Uh, just real quick, it's a feel-good story, and, and he humbled himself about time, and you see the rewards that he gets. So I think he's a good compliment and a good veteran leader. I mean, the players really respect him. He kind of mm -hmm. he has an Allen Iverson feel to him in terms of, you know, the media kind of bags on him all the time, but the players really like him. So I think he's going to be another huge plus for the Trailblazers, and, you know, just waiting for this the season to play out. The, the Trailblazers, they're going to give a lot of teams some headaches. Um, whether or not they're a title contender, I extremely doubt it. But as we saw in the bubble, they're extremely dangerous, and I think Melo is one of the reasons why. Agreed. Next one, Rajon Rondo has left the Los Angeles Lakers after winning the title, of course, last season. He has signed a two-year, $15 million deal to go to the Atlanta Hawks, obviously with elite young point guard uh, Trey Young there. You'd, you'd have to assume, you know, he's, he's probably going to be in kind of a mentorship slash backup role for Trey Young. Uh, thoughts on Rondo to the Hawks? 
I think he, again, it's interesting to see kind of the guys that we watch now being older and being mentors. It's weird. (laughs) So I think, you know, him with, you know, Trey Young, it's going to be a great mentorship role. I don't see him being selfish. I mean, he's not, he's never been like a marquee star player. He's always been a compliment. And I think his knowledge, his basketball knowledge and his grittiness and um, even Jared Dudley, um, he wrote on Ben Simmons, like he was, you know, Rondo was always the one to speak up. So um, I think that can't hurt uh, a Trey Young to have a person with championship pedigree. Real quick follow up on that. Are you disappointed Rondo didn't go to the Clippers to kind of reinforce their point guard position, you know, kind of sharing the role with Patrick Beverly there? Are are you surprised he chooses, you know, let's let's be realistic. The Hawks are a playoff contender with some of the moves they've made, but not really a title contender at this point. Are, are you surprised he didn't go looking for a title with the Clippers? Uh, not really. I mean, he, he won with the Lakers and I don't know, this is a p- pure speculation. I could can be completely wrong on this, but remember all the, cr- just the crap and all the BS that they talked. I mean, mm. I don't know if he'd be too enamored to, to play with that team now. Um, mm. especially where I think Rondo spelt a certain connection. I mean, LeBron really pushed for Rondo to be there. So I just, I don't know. I think it's kind of a loyalty thing. I'm sure it had to factor into it. Um, I just I couldn't imagine him just being happy to go to the Clippers after they talked all this crap um, about the the Lakers, um, mm. even though it you know is it's business and everything going on. So no, and also Rondo's is a quirky, weird guy. He kind of does what he wants. So um, very true. He kind of goes against the status quo. Status quo. So I'm not surprised at all he went to the Hawks. Perfect segue. Speaking of the beef between the Lakers and the Clippers, Montrezl Harrell has signed a two-year deal to join the Lakers, not stay with the Clippers, but join the Lakers. The NBA Sixth Man of the Year has signed with the Lakers. Thoughts on them? Uh, We'll talk about Dwight, who's not a Laker anymore, surprisingly. Um, But thoughts about them, I guess, replacing Dwight Howard's presence with Montrezl Harrell. Smart. Smart. Smart move, younger, um, dynamic player, and again, gritty, gritty player that you need. I mean, th- these are kind of the moves that don't get pushed in the sports media too much, but these these players win you championships, you know. I know it sounds corny, but the star players, you know, like take your pick of any superstar player that's won the title. You know, they get all the headlines, but it's really these role players that get you the title. And I think Montrez Harrell, um, it's going to be a massive um, acquisition for the Lakers. It's smart. Um, so it is a little bit surprising considering, you know, he's in that kind of, he's a habitual line stepper <laughs> as Jalen Rose would say, yeah. uh, along with Patrick Beverly. Um, but you know, that's kind of like, you know, we see with – it kind of reminds me of Joe Kim Noah. I've always – you know, if, if Joe Kim Noah's on my team, I'm going to – I love him. But if he's against me, then I think you know, he's not the most favorite person in the world. So um, he's just one of those players that you want to have on your team because he's going to be a huge agitator. So it's a good acquisition for the Lakers. Yeah, I love it for kind of creating – even more tension in this battle for the city of LA, if you can even sure. call it that anymore. I mean, the yeah. the Clippers are so much like the <laughs> the little brother now. Well, um, especially with know, COVID. after last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so, but but I I wrote in my notes some of the same thoughts you said. I, I wrote that they lose some sight from uh, some size, excuse me, from losing Dwight Howard, but they gain a ton of energy. And the Lakers also get off scot free from a chemistry standpoint in that they survived a year of Dwight Howard, and the team doesn't want to strangle each other, or at least not that right. not that I can tell. Uh, so maybe maybe getting off Dwight Howard at the right time. Speaking of which, that's the next thing I'll ask you about. Dwight Howard, apparently there was some lack of communication between his representation and the, the team representation of, of the Lakers in completing his deal. He thought the deal was done. He tweeted, I mean, this, this is so Dwight Howard. This is the most Dwight Howard thing I can think of. He tweeted that morning, basically, you know, I'm, I'm staying purple and gold. I love you, L.A., and then deleted that tweet later on and had signed with the Sixers. Um, he he had said earlier, and, and we talked with Trevor Lane about this a little bit, that he didn't want to play for free this upcoming season, but he signed a deal for $2.63 million. So, so again, another cheap contract. Uh, I mean, an, an NBA veteran contract for Dwight Howard. So very confusing and puzzling, which I think is totally on brand for Dwight Howard. But what are your thoughts about him going to the Sixers and, and I guess maybe more specifically, cause I think you agree with me on the drama standpoint, but more specifically, how do you see him fitting in with Philadelphia? Uh, a bizarre move. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, but you're right. It fits in with Dwight Howard. So it's perfect. Um, I don't understand this move from the Sixers other than like, he's a backup big man for Embiid. I don't know how great of a mentor he's going to be to Joel Embiid. I mean, you're dealing with Dwight Howard, who, I mean, Jackie McMullen and Bill Simmons said, you know, they even though they had a lot of disparaging things to say about him, they say he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So, um, especially him winning the title. So you have like a you know a future Hall of Famer um, on this team, but yet just dissolves so quickly. I don't know if that's the best mentor um, for. Joel Embiid um, despite you know on the surface it seems like a great comeback story right like he did produce for LA they won the title at the same time um, there's still a lot of questions so I think from a kind of chemistry standpoint especially when you're trying to get Ben Simmons and Embiid to cohesively um, fit bringing in this possible combustible element I don't know if it's the right thing to do so we'll just have to wait and see yeah, on that note, um, you know, I should also, it's worth mentioning that on draft night, um, you know, really the Thunder kind of kicked off draft night with a trade that sent Al Horford to Oklahoma City. Um, it's, you know, the the Thunder have been compiling a ton of first round picks. I mean, they are, they are clearly looking to reset and we'll talk about that Chris Paul trade later. Uh, but while we're on the topic of the Sixers, they did shed Al Horford. So, you know, you'd assume Howard was, was then a free agency interest to uh, fill the void that, that his departure will leave. Um, but basically you, you take away one of the all time chemistry guys in Al Horford and, you know, my notes here are that, you know, you're injecting Dwight Howard into a team with horrible chemistry reportedly. Uh, you know, what could what could possibly go wrong there? Um, you know, I, I think we all kind of know Al Horford is is in the late stages of his career. Um, so it's, you know, the, it's, it's clearly a salary dump for him to go to OKC, but he's also going to be a great mentor from the young players 
um, that that they're going to be drafting in, in future years and that they have on that roster right now. Any thoughts on Al Horford to OKC? Just to kind of tie a bow on this Sixers talk. Um, not too really. I think Al Horford is weird. He's just one of those players that all I hear about is like, when is he going to live up to his potential? He can be this or that. And I don't know him, him moving on. It's kind of like, I didn't really have too much thoughts on him. I think he still has a little bit in the tank. You see glimpses of what he could have been. Um, in a lot of people's eyes, but I don't have too much thoughts. I think it's good for, like you said, for the Sixers to shed that salary. Um, so I think that's a smart thing. Cause I, it wasn't that contract pretty killer. It was oh yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, it was just a brutal they contract. Still have, so I, I'm sorry, they still have the Tobias okay. Harris contract, they do. which is is even more and and longer than Horford's deal. But yeah, as as we were talking about a few weeks back, like they they clearly needed to make a decision about getting rid of Horford or Harris or both. Um, and of course, you know, more, more could still be to come, but it seems like with Harris being younger, I mean, he's the, the more obvious pick on a, a guy that you want to keep if, and, and can still maybe potentially be a contender. Mm, for sure. Um, go ahead with the, your, some more. Yeah, moves. let's, let's move forward to, um, kind of getting back to LA. So Dwight Howard leaves for the 76ers, as we just talked about. Uh, with the Clippers, they have recently, I think just last night, signed Serge Ibaka uh, to mm-hmm. the Clippers. So that looks to be the replacement for uh, for Montrezl Harrell going to the Lakers. Uh, so you could see Ibaka maybe being in a starting power forward or center role there. Maybe it's going to be Zubac. Uh, that's, that's the assumption right now with what they have on that roster. Thoughts on Serge Ibaka leaving the Raptors and following Kawhi, Kawhi, excuse me, Kawhi Leonard to, um, to LA there. Uh, big time acquisition. Um, Serge Ibaka, I mean, he has that chemistry with Kawhi and, you know, he is a, you know, borderline, you know, perennial all-star players. So it's a huge signing for the Clippers. Again, you know, they're, they're the joke of this season <laughs> based on last season. Everybody pretty much hating on them. So they, they need to make a splash, and they did that with Serge Ibaka. It's a good acquisition. Absolutely. I, I do have some injury concerns. Uh, like Serge Ibaka has been injury-prone in the past. He's he's had a good stretch the last two years. Um, you, you have Paul George, who's been, you know, he's he's had some concerns. You have Kawhi, who's still under load management so I, I do have some concerns with their durability but talent wise I, I'm with you in that he's he's a great get he is you know an, an older player than Montrezl Harrell so I, I don't know that you've quite made up for his for Harrell's absence especially on a team that you know needs an aggressive streak now that kind of all falls I think to Patrick Beverly uh, to to keep that team motivated and be kind of I don't know the the Draymond Green esque type of role for that team I, that that already was on his lap and now I think even more so with Harold being off the roster so I do have a little bit of a concern there but talent wise yeah I, I think there's no argument and I, I agree with what you were saying there um, any other thoughts on that one or should I move on yeah move on man cool so we have Gordon Hayward leaving the Boston Celtics. I think everyone agrees that 
his his stint in Boston was a massive disappointment and obviously not all his fault. I mean, we had that opening night where he had that horrible, horrible ankle injury uh, that sidelined him for a while. And there was just really no recovering after that. I mean, yes, he got back on the court, but but I think never really lived up to the expectations that were had there. And which is really sad, I think, because Gordon Hayward is likable. You also had him joining with Brad Stevens. So so just a little background there for the listeners. But he has now signed uh, to join LaMelo Ball in Charlotte. He is on a four-year, $120 million deal. No, I am not joking there. Uh, your thoughts <laughs> on Gordon Hayward going to Charlotte? Yeah, I, I saw this, and I he's one of those things that's – scares a lot of fans when they're talking about Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant because he was not the same after his injury. Uh, he's kind of the opposite. You know, Paul George is used as a shining example. Gordon Hayward's kind of used in the opposite direction, right? And I I don't see him really improving. I mean, he had plenty of opportunities. I mean, you know, Kyrie was gone. He had plenty of opportunities to really um, flourish and to get back where he was in previously. Uh, when he was, I think he was with the Utah Jazz, correct? Correct. Okay. So when he you know who he was with him, he was, you know, very much like a Donovan Mitchell um, in terms of his hype. But now I, I don't think he's the same player. And I think he's going to be really just a role player on teams. I, I think his days of being a all-star are over. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, I have in my notes here that, Charlotte has basically paid the small market team tax to get Gordon Hayward. I mean, it, it gets you a name, but they they have grossly overpaid for him, in in my opinion. And you also have to keep in mind that you still have Nick Batum on contract there. I think he's still getting like twenty seven million a year. Um, so you have Batum and Gordon Hayward. And again, not not trying to be mean here, but because of injury things, I mean, it almost seems like they have repeated the Nick Batum thing where, where they've locked in a wing player at a high salary coming off an injury that just isn't, doesn't seem that he's going to be able to live up to expectations. I wanted to give a shout out to your friend and friend of the show, Alan Munzler, who said in a, in a tweet um, last night, this Hayward deal seems a lot like the Parsons deal in Memphis. Hell, the Boston Hayward deal is a lot like the Mavs Chandler deal, which I, I just thought was yeah. a spot on analogy there it's true. Uh, in comparison, in comparing Hayward with Chandler Parsons. I think also, you know, with the, the clay Hayward comparison that you made, you know, we know that clay can still, you know, run through picks and hang out on the three point line and contribute really well. I think Hayward relied especially in his time in Utah when he was able to do it, he relied so much on being able to slash to the basket and he was kind of developing into a playmaker, almost like that step Blake Griffin took on the Clippers for a little while there when he started becoming a slasher and being able to distribute the ball. Um, and, And so Hayward was making progress towards that. And that's what you kind of expected him to do on the Celtics team before that horrific injury hit. So, so I do think he's a player that could be, um, more significantly impacted down the road than than Clay Thompson, um, mm-hmm. but you know I I am really honestly and I, and I don't mean this with any 
sarcasm or anything like that, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this Hornets team does next season. I, I want to see what LaMelo Ball is going to look like. Of course, he's he's very young, so you got to give him a couple years uh, to take the reins of this franchise, but, but I am curious to see what they're going to be able to do. Um, Rob Perez was was tweeting about which you know if, if you're on NBA Twitter you've probably seen a Rob Perez tweet um but he was tweeting that you know the the Hornets are doing everything every season to make sure that they're the ninth seed in the east which I I thought was a hilarious take um <laughs> but you know I I am they are a team that yeah I don't think they're going to be good or certainly not not a threat even if they do make it into the playoffs but but i am curious to see what this team looks like and you know alluding back to last dance stuff that that we started our relaunch with sorry got a call did can you still hear me yeah i can still hear Um, you yeah so you know i i just personally want to see michael jordan do well as an owner i think everyone who was a fan of those Bulls teams wants to see that. So I'm hoping that they found the right guy with LaMelo Ball to take them there. I, you know, we'll see. That's it's a big stretch. Gotcha. Okay. Um, one move I did want to point out just real quick, um, and I, I really made me happy, is uh, Fred Van Fleet um, re-signing oh, yeah. with the uh, Tampa Raptors, not the Toronto Raptors, <laughs> but um, I guess they're going to be the Tampa Raptors for the, for the upcoming season. A $85 million deal to stay with the Raptors. Um, just, you know, a huge, huge um, accomplishment for Fred Van Fleet um, and somebody who really deserves it. So I'm glad he, he got that money for sure. Yeah, and then kind of um, along the same line, I've just mentioned briefly that De'Aaron Fox re-signed for a max extension with the Kings um, and, and look out for the Kings. They may be kind of a sleeper playoff team in, in the West there. I mean, they, they almost scratched on the playoffs this last season. I think they might make the jump this year, especially if Halliburton turns out to be worthwhile um, as, as their first round draft pick, their lottery pick. Um, so the Kings could be, could be making some noise next season as well. But to, to your point with the Fred Van Vliet thing, I've, I always love to see a player um, who has very low expectations going in rise to the level that he's risen in being a key contributor to a title team. And so it's, it's good. It feels good for him to stay on the Raptors. Feels like the right move all around for that franchise and for him. So I, I do like to hear that. I agree. Uh, should we talk about this Chris Paul trade? Yeah, please. So, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the Suns fit with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, let's remind everyone, had a great year in Oklahoma City and getting them uh, to be a top five seed in the West, in a very contentious West on an Oklahoma City Thunder team that really wasn't expected to do much. A lot of people didn't think they were going to make the playoffs at the start of the season. So Chris Paul really kind of took a step up. Um, people had thought he, he may have been a little washed up being sidekick to James Harden, but I, I think he was able to prove that it was because he didn't have the ball in his hands as, as much as he used to on, on teams that he had headed, uh, such as the Clippers and the Pelicans. So now he moves on to the Suns. He's 35 years old, teams up with Devin Booker, teams up with a pretty deep Suns roster, um, that just had the the 10th pick in the draft and Jalen Smith. We'll see if he can be a contributor. Um, 
So, you know, what, what do you think, first of all, I mean, I think you and I are probably in agreement that Chris Paul is an upgrade on your roster, even at 35 years old, uh, they send this trade ends up sending Rubio back to the Timberwolves, which I think is kind of interesting and fun. Um, but I, I guess, I guess the main question, how high do you think this trade raises the Suns' ceiling? Like what, where can they get in the playoffs as a result of Chris Paul coming up? I mean, looking into your crystal ball and maybe of course, making that assumption that Chris Paul is going to be healthy all year next year. Um, what do you think is this team's ceiling? Yeah, uh, I like the move from a veteran standpoint. I think from a um, power move standpoint, making noise in the conference, I think it does fairly little. Um, I think it's kind of a desperation move, to be honest, for Devin Booker. Like, it's kind of like, hey, we're getting this perennial all-star point guard, and you saw what we did in Oklahoma City. Maybe you can do the same thing there. But I think if you're Devin Booker, it, if I'm him, I'm like, oh, man. Men there are so many years. I don't have any like I don't know, super young players to um really trust the franchise with and be kind of a partner in crime besides Aiden, right? Um so ultimately I, I if anything, they'll be fighting for that last spot. I th- I think they'll be in the play in tournament. I buy I buy that. Um but in terms of making the playoffs, I don't. Um, if you go to the dreamshake.com, um, it is a Rockets um, blog here, and it discuss they have a lot of cool graphics um, based on their polls within the network of their readership. Um, they were going over, okay, are the Suns a true contender in the West? Uh, 39% said yes, 61% no. So, um I think I'm in that no camp. I just don't see it. Um, I think the writer of this article said, you know, maybe they're contending of a 68th seed, um, but as a contender for anything, no. Um, I just think it's desperate. And, you know, if I'm Devin Booker, I think that the clock has struck midnight on staying with this team. I think he's given them every single opportunity. And I don't see Chris Paul being a difference maker because it's not just about this season. It's about like five seasons from now, right? I mean, if you're going to mm. be at a franchise and stay there, um, you need a base to build with. And Chris Paul, his career is ending. I mean, I don't know. He's got a few years. It's weird to say because I just turned 35 a couple of days ago. But um, in, in basketball terms, you're an old man. So um, I, I think if I'm in Booker's perspective, I am not very moved by this Um in terms of the future seasons, uh, despite next season, his veteran leadership and everything, probably it's going to be a massive positive. Mm. So what, if you had to put a number, like in terms of the seed that they could get, um, what, what would you think the highest seed um, they would get could be? I mean, I, I think you'd probably have to imagine like the Lakers Clippers and Nuggets at least are probably mm-hmm. ahead of them, maybe even the Jazz. Where where do you tend to think their their ceiling could be in terms of that? Probably fighting for seven and eight, probably in the play-in game. We'll be an exciting. I think hopefully if Zion stays healthy, um, I think you're looking at Sacramento, Pelicans, Suns um, in that repertoire, per se. Um, mm. And I think, you know, I don't even see Portland even being in that mix. I think they'll probably be the seventh or sixth seed. I mean, you take a look at it now, right? You got Clippers, Lakers, um, Utah, 
Um, Denver, that's four, right? Um, and then not to mention Dallas, that's five. Portland, that's six. Um, who am I missing? Um, let's see, just two more spots. Um, this off the top of my head. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's very right now. That's six teams, right? So that's two more teams that are going to be fighting for the spot. And I don't see the Suns getting in there. Um, and I, I even mentioned Houston, right? So if they keep Westbrook and Harden, despite how I feel about them, they're going to get a playoff spot. So that's seven. That's one more spot. I mean, that's right there. Dallas. Seven locks. Yeah, I think I, I might have mentioned. I'm not sure. Um, oh, but apologies. No, I I just think. They, they're just a lock. I mean, it's just really the West is still really competitive. So sure. I think if I think it's good for them, they're going to be in the playoff, the play-in series. I don't see them not participating in that. I think that'd be a, a significant shock if they're not in that. So I think they might squeeze in there just to get destroyed by the Lakers or something. And you know, with Steph Curry too, with Golden State, I mean, if Wiseman proves to be you know, something, I mean, don't discount Steph Curry. I mean, this guy was the MVP of the league. So, um, unanimously. So even though it might wear on him and tear on him, you know, having to carry more of the load, if Wiseman's something, then the Warriors are a factor. And and that's that's not good for the Suns. So I think best case scenario is the eighth seed, but I'm not gonna easily see them not making the playoffs. Interesting. Yeah, so and and then another question mark would be Memphis. Sure. Uh, with that, John there you Morant go. and how he's going to improve. So, <laughs> so just to to kind of tie a bow on this, Phoenix finished tenth. Um, in, and I'm talking about the regular season. They finished tenth. Um, ahead of them, in ninth was Memphis. In eighth was Portland. In seventh was Dallas. In sixth was Utah. Then fifth OKC and fourth Houston. So you could see, I mean, OKC right off the bat, we have to assume they're probably not a playoff team next year. That's not what they're building for in no. getting rid of Chris Paul, obviously. Um, Houston could be totally removed off that list, depending on still what we're waiting on uh, happening with, with those huge dominoes of Westbrook and Harden. Uh, so those are two teams out of the way. But even then, if, if you just then move teams ahead of them up, I, I do think Phoenix could leapfrog Memphis, could leapfrog Portland, as you say. Uh, maybe even Dallas. A lot of that depends on Porzingis and status with that team. So even if we say that they leapfrog Memphis, Portland, and Dallas, that puts them their ceiling at about fifth or sixth, which is um, which I, I feel comfortable saying their ceiling is probably the sixth seed, but. You know, the the one thing I, I wonder about is now, does this instill more confidence in Devin Booker and his goal so far has been getting to the playoffs? He's not going anywhere this next season, so you might as well make the best of it. Um, and, and maybe some leadership from Chris Paul. Uh, although, you know, we've seen Chris Paul be very contentious with other stars on his team, too. So that that is something that I think people aren't considering right now is it could also be demotivating like Booker might not be the type of player who wants someone on him, you know, like kind of screaming at him in plays when he's been uh, the top dog in, in Phoenix all these years, you know, there may be that kind of struggle for whose team is it? Cause Chris Paul is going to run that offense, no doubt. Um, but hopefully, you know, I, I think just in wanting to see the Suns do well for a change um, I, 
you would hope that Chris Paul being 35 is going to realize that he needs to lean on Devin Booker a lot. Um, and, and maybe that's where you get a best case scenario where they're fifth or sixth seed. But I, I think you're right in, you know, kind of keeping hopes low for like the seventh or eighth seed. And, and so much of that, you know, depends on the health of Chris Paul. Cause if, if he's out, this team has some depth, no doubt, but they're, they're just not going to be the same team with him off the floor. I mean, he's, he's such a huge gravitational pull for teams. You know, it's, it's kind of like when LeBron goes on the bench. I mean, yes, you can have a functional team, but it, it may also weaken you in some, in some ways in that players are looking for him to create so much. I mean, same thing with Chris Paul there. So not, we, we have to wait and see obviously how that dynamic is in Phoenix. Um, but I, I would lock in at this point that I think they're going to make the playoffs, you know, barring some horrible injury news. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But I do think, again, the mentorship, that that's going to be a factor. So it's going to reflect badly, I think, on either one of them if there is tension. And that would that'd be a shame if there is. So um, that would be a, a story that we'll uh, have to pay attention to. And I'm sure Josh, since he is a Suns fan, will we'll, yeah, get a, a bunch of uh, his takes on it throughout the season as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um I wanted to ask you real quick right now, just, um, you know, and then, and then we can wrap up unless there's anything else, but um, what, what do you do right now with James Harden? If you're the Rockets, I think it's, it's pretty obvious. They've been looking to unload Westbrook um, and they haven't found a successful trade partner for that yet. It doesn't look like the Knicks are going to bite on that for once, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, the Knicks may have done the best thing for themselves just by doing, almost nothing the last couple of days that that might actually be a net positive for the Knicks compared to the things we've seen in the past. Um, but what do you do right now? If, if you're, you know, putting on your GM cap and you've got James Harden under contract for the next two years. So much like when he left Oklahoma city to come to the Rockets, you know, OKC kind of traded him earlier than they needed to. They could have played out that season, kept him on with Westbrook and KD at the time. Uh, but they decided to move him. So I, I think there's this argument about, you know, once the player has kind of shown his cards, like James Harden has made it pretty clear he's unhappy. He doesn't want to be on the Rockets anymore. His mind is kind of in Brooklyn or in Philadelphia. Uh, do you potentially trade him away and not get equal value for an MVP candidate, an MVP level player? Um, or do you kind of kind of check him and say, Hey, you're staying with us at least this next year. And we'll see about finding a deal for you in the future. What do you do if you're in their situation? Uh, I think the leverage is with the Houston Rockets. I think looking at players that want to exercise a trade and then you see their production go down, that's going to hurt James Harden in the end. So I think it's in the Rockets' best interest to make sure that they get a deal that um, is going to serve their best needs. And what is James Harden going to do? If he's unhappy, is he going to, you know, play with, you know, 80% effort? That's only going to hurt him. So I think overall, it's, it's within James Harden's best interest just to, like, suck it up, play out his contract, and just move on after that. Keep his mouth shut. Um, just be, be good and just, and just move on. Uh, because mm. I think that that door of, you know, 
being a Houston Rocket for a long time, being a franchise player is over. Um, and also with the Houston Rockets, you have two years to really play with what this franchise is going to be. I mean, they lost Daryl Morey, and overall, that's kind of the identity of this team, right? Kind of the small ball era. I mean, yeah. where do you want this franchise to, to go here? And I think they got two years to kind of figure it out um, in terms of do you just want to get a bunch of picks? I mean, and, and this is the NBA, right? Like there's going to be some team desperate enough to take James Harden with some kind of trade. So, you know, they got two years to kind of see what's best available. So in my mind, love the Houston Rockets. Take your time with James Harden is, is he's not going anywhere. And I don't, I don't think he's a type of player just to like phone it in or um, just to see a diminished um, performance from him. He might vocalize his displeasure, but um, I'd be shocked if we see a massive drop in his production um, in the regular season playoffs are, you already know, how I feel about him, but in the regular season, I think you're going to get kind of same old, same old from him. 100% agree, and you're right. I mean, Houston has the leverage for next season, and then then they really need to make moves next offseason. I, I just think, you know, the the Rockets made it pretty clear, like, if if we're giving up James Harden, then Brooklyn, we want Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. And I think that's fair to ask, uh, because you could, yeah. you could argue James Harden has a lot more trade value right now than Kevin Durant does, maybe Agreed. even than Kyrie Irving does. Um, so, so I think, you know, you, you, you are completely in your right to ask for another, you know, blue chipper type of player. And I would say some draft picks, if you're going to unload James Harden with the production that he's had with kind of how he's revered in the league right now. Um, so hundred percent agree with you. If, if I'm Houston, I, I wait until I see a deal that, that I can't refuse that, that is too tantalizing for me to resist, uh, to give me the potential to rebuild this team, even if I'm keeping Westbrook for a little while until his contract runs out, um, you know, or until I find some kind of salary dump for picks deal, I can, I can manage with that. Um, so, so yeah, hundred percent agree. And I also agree with you in Harden's demeanor. I, I think he's going to play next year. I don't think he wants to do a thing like, Anthony Davis, his last season with the Pelicans, where there were some like strange benchings from time to time and really terrible relationship with the fans. Uh, I think if he gets on the floor and plays, even though he's voiced how he, he wants to go to Brooklyn or somewhere else, um, I still think the the Houston fans aren't going to be like vicious towards him. If, if he gets on the floor and produces, I, I don't see that being, I, I mean, Harden has some drama off the court, but it's not really in like the press and in the media. He's a pretty soft-spoken guy as far as that goes. So, so I don't see this being as dramatic, even as the Anthony Davis situation in, in New Orleans was. So, so I think you can still rehabilitate this and maybe even depending on the, the direction of the team, I mean, maybe you can keep him in Houston by, you know, showing him the money, so to speak, but you know, probably less chance of that with, with how things are unraveling with that roster and Daryl Morey leaving. But um but yeah, I, I think you have a lot of options here. And, you know, my hope as someone who roots for the Rockets is is just that they aren't looking to deal him as quickly as possible. And and them holding off of him already not being in Brooklyn is is a good sign as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, I agree. I I think it's just something that for James Harden, he's really at a career crossroads at this point. And at, at one point, people were saying he could be the best player in the league. But again, this is unfairly or fairly, this is about winning championships. And he has a big zero around his name in terms of that, or even making an NBA Finals appearance. And I think moving forward, he needs to really adjust his mindset as to, okay, what what type of player do I want to be? Do I want to sign a kind of a eventually like a supermax deal, dude, or do I want to just win a title at all cost? And I think he's it just there's some conflict with that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah, and I think in general in the league we're we're kind of seeing this debate play out with do I stay on board, like be kind of a Damian Lillard type character, which to this point, you know, he's, he's been super loyal to Portland. Do do we see, is that like better quality of life overall to be the man in a city, you know, kind of like hearkening back to nineties era basketball, you know, where like, like for example, Reggie Miller, he's a pacer, he's a pacer for life. Um, are we seeing a return to that? Or are we seeing, you know, still the the free agency wheel spin? I mean, overall, of course, the free agency wheel is still spinning players around as as we have been evidence to all of this past weekend. But, um, you know, I I think it would be kind of refreshing for Harden to stay. Uh, I, I don't think that's very realistic to expect that to happen, though, especially if he's hearing like those those title ghosts call out to him and uh, urging him to chase after that title. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. It's, it's going to be interesting. There's still a lot more developing stories in this free agency period, which, as you mentioned earlier, you know, usually we get the summer to weigh this out and talk about it. We're getting this condensed into 10 days. So it's, it's been a really crazy week. Uh, if you are on Twitter, you know, it's, it's worthwhile just even reading like Shams or Woj's feed just to see everything that has gone down and all the the chaos that's been happening. Did you have anything else you wanted to add for today, Justin? I, I'm all set if you want to send us out. No, that's it. As always, um, we appreciate you listening to the show. Um, check out our past interviews. Um, we have a great just library of interviews that's recapping both the WNBA and the NBA um, bubbles. Um, we have Tariq A. Fox, Foster Braxby. We have Christina Williams. Um, um, Emmy Award-winning director Zach Levitt. Um, we have Ben Lyons, um, and it's plenty of insiders um, from the Chicago Bulls, um, Denver Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Golden State Warriors, um, the Phoenix Suns. Um, just a lot of great interviews to get you ready um, for this season. So for Matt Thomas, I'm Justin Goodjum. Um, thank you for listening to Hoopsology. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. And we will check in next time. See you later. Peace. On this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome Trevor Lane, senior writer for LakerNation.com. He provides some great insight regarding the Lakers winning the title and their future for the upcoming season. Then Matt and I recap the 2020 NBA draft, discuss Clay Thompson's injury, and we talk about all the top offseason moves so far. And now, Trevor Lane. We now welcome Trevor Lane, senior writer for LakerNation.com. Thanks for joining us, Trevor. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me on. So, Trevor, um, 
we brought you on because you have an extensive knowledge of the Los Angeles Lakers. And um, before focusing on the upcoming season, we wanted to have you on to kind of reflect on the Lakers winning the title. And, and I wanted to ask you, can you bring some perspective as to the Los Angeles Lakers you know, winning the championship, what that meant, this particular title uh, meant not only to the team, but Los Angeles as well, um, just considering Kobe's death. I think outside, you know, basketball fans kind of characterized the Lakers kind of like kind of the evil empire a little bit, considering how many titles they've won. But this particular championship really meant a lot to the organization. So could you provide some context? Yeah, sure. I mean, this, it really did mean a lot. Um, you know, there was some there was some talk that maybe a win it for Kobe mantra or mentality uh, would be putting a little bit too much pressure on the team, but the, instead they embraced it. They went with it. And from, I mean, within a week or so after Kobe passed, we started hearing like, we want to win this for Kobe. We want to do it for him. Uh, you saw it after Anthony Davis hit the, the buzzer beating three against uh, the Denver Nuggets in the Western conference finals in game two. Uh, he's yelling Kobe as he's running over to his teammates it was a, an ever-present theme for the team this season. And it just goes to show, you know, Kobe's impact on not just the Lakers, not just the organization, but on basketball. Because, you know, the guys who are on the team right now, they didn't play with Kobe as Lakers. They weren't around during that, during that period. But he made such a huge impact on all of them that that became sort of the rallying cry for the season was we want to get this thing done for Kobe. And that was the organization, that was the players, but that was also something that we heard a lot from the Lakers fan base. So it was, um, it, it was really special to be able to win a championship in this year and do something like that in order to honor Kobe Bryant. And speaking of Kobe, LeBron had a, a very special relationship with Kobe and LeBron was one of the linchpins of not only um, just the regular season, but the, the title run as well. Um, where does LeBron fit within the kind of pathion of other Laker players? Um, is he kind of, since he won one, is he kind of in, in terms of being kind of an official Laker or does he have to win multiple titles? Can you kind of like walk us through just a perspective, like a hardcore Laker fan of how they view LeBron James um, winning, winning that title this past year? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I mean, when LeBron first signed with the Lakers uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, it was, my estimate is it was probably about 50-50 in terms of Lakers fans who supported him coming and those who did not. Because for years, the discussion in the league was who's better, LeBron or Kobe. And even though they never met head-to-head -head in the finals, which is a, a tragedy in and of itself, um, there, there still was that kind of inherent rivalry there. And so there were a lot of Lakers fans who, who weren't thrilled that, that LeBron was becoming a Laker. And, you know, the common refrain was that, well, as soon as LeBron winds up, you know, putting on the jersey and start scoring points for the Lakers, that's going to convert the rest of the Lakers fan base. And it didn't really. And we still have some kind of holdouts that, that, are still, that will still grumble a little bit about LeBron. But when, you know, when we got to see the relationship the two of them had and LeBron going over to Kobe when he visited to see Lakers games and then hu them hugging on the sideline and that sort of stuff, you, you realize that there was no animosity between the two of them. The rivalry was mostly something that was generated by, by fans and by narratives and, and all of that. And then when Kobe passed away and LeBron gave that just epic speech in front of the entire crowd at Staples Center, that was, um, that was to, me, to me the moment that should have converted any Lakers fans who were still kind of on the fence as far as what to think about LeBron. Uh, now that he's won a championship, that definitely does help to cement his place as a Los Angeles Laker. 
Uh, although I have seen some fans say, well, no, now he's got to win a second title. He's got to win two in a row before, <laughs> you know, he's officially a, a Lakers legend. But I think that's just the nature of, uh, of Laker fandom. Trevor, I wanted to ask the same question, but with another Laker um, who has been on the team previously, and that was Dwight Howard. Uh, and we know the the first runaround kind of left a bitter taste, I'm sure, in Lakers fans' mouths. Uh, when, you know, Dwight was on that that super team that had very, very high expectations, I think rightfully so. And then we all know the story, you know, Steve Nash was injured. Dwight and Kobe had their issues, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, how How is that relationship with Dwight and the Lakers fan base now? I mean, I'm sure the fan base is grateful for him being a, a very contributing member of of this title team. But can you expand on maybe what that's that's like between Dwight and those fans? Because I think that's a very interesting dynamic there. I mean, has he kind of righted the wrongs of the past, maybe, so to speak? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is, um, it's one of the most surprising storylines in the entire league from this past mm-hmm. season was Dwight's, you know, redemption in the eyes of Lakers fans. I mean, he was, he was persona non grata in, in Los Angeles. Like, he was – he was the villain getting booed from the Raptors every single time he came to town because he turned his back on the Lakers and, and went to the Houston Rockets in free agency. And yeah, there, there were no Dwight Howard fans in LA anymore. And so then he signs with the Lakers when they needed him. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins had gotten hurt and he signed with the Lakers and there were some question marks about him. You know, what was his attitude going to be like? Was he going to be demanding post touches? And what we saw this season was a very different Dwight Howard than anybody remembered. We saw a Dwight Howard who was more than happy to set hard screens, to do the dirty work, to box out, didn't care about his own offensive stats. Uh, he was very different from the guy that we, that we saw before. And uh, it was a major contributor that helped the Lakers win a championship. So in short order, I mean, we're talking a few weeks of, of Dwight de- you know, re-debuting with the Lakers he had somehow morphed into a fan favorite. I don't think I've ever seen a turnaround quite that quick before, but, uh, but yeah, by the end of the season, Lakers fans loved Dwight. I know there's the vast majority of Lakers fans are keeping their finger, their fingers crossed and hope that Dwight comes back now in, in free agency, which is just, I, I mean, I'm still in disbelief that, that this is where we're at between the Lakers, <laughs> Lakers fans and Dwight Howard right now. Quite the turnaround. And, and of course, I mean, just a few days ago, Dwight Howard was saying that, he doesn't intend to play quote for free next year. He's, he's looking to make more money on his contract. And of course that's his, his prerogative. Do you see it very likely that the Lakers will resign? Cause we've heard that from Dwight. And then I'm seeing also that three hours ago uh, via sports illustrated, Chris Mannix uh, saying the Lakers might be the only team willing to offer Dwight Howard a contract in free agency. Um, what do you think the chances are that he stays yeah, I mean, I think they're certainly better now that the Warriors drafted a center. Uh, they they got Wiseman in the draft because that was the rumored landing spot for him was was the team that was going to try to pry him away from the Lakers. Um, I did a, a report all on that that Mannix uh, piece for SI. I, I find it a little hard to believe that that Dwight Howard really has zero market. I'm sure there are a number of teams yeah. that would give him a veteran minimum deal given what he did for the Lakers. But it's true that look the traditional back to the basket style center the lumbering big that doesn't shoot threes is, is not really in vogue in the NBA right now. And so he's not going to have a market like say a three and D wing player would, there's no question there, but I think there are teams that would want Dwight Howard. But if that's true, that that's all that's out there is the veteran minimum that I think that that just increases the, the chances of the Lakers keeping him because 
he had success with the Lakers. They just won a championship. They had an incredible relationship on the team. I don't know if I've ever seen a team with the kind of chemistry that these guys had. So I would think if all offers are equal and they're all veteran minimum deals, it would make a lot of sense for him to stick around with the Lakers. Trevor, um, we're experiencing a, a season unprecedented and probably in the history of the league um, with the season starting in just a few weeks, December 22nd. How do you think the Lakers are adjusting to such a short turnaround? Um, is it kind of business as usual or do you foresee this being an issue when the season starts? I mean, just to compare them to their WNBA counterparts, I mean, they play a year round schedule playing overseas and then also um, their NBA season as well. Um, with, with the men, this is kind of a, a new experience for them um, having to start the season so quickly. How do you think they're going to uh, adjust to that? I think it really depends on the player. So like Alex Caruso was on JJ Reddick's podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he said it's no big deal for him. You know, he's in his mid-20s. He feels great. He's got no problems with it. For a guy like LeBron James, who is about to turn 36 now in in just over a month here, um, it's a little different story, right? I mean, he is a guy who is is very, very diligent about his routines. And this is the part of the year when I start to ramp my body up. And this is the part of the season when I start to pick things up. And this is where I need to be at this point, this point, this point. He's got it all mapped out. And so for him, it's it's throwing him off of his rhythm, the the quick turnaround. Uh, We have heard rumblings that, hey, he's probably going to want to take some nights off. And that's not a surprise because it's not even just the quick turnaround. It's, um, you know, you're talking about like 70 days or something like that between winning game six of the NBA finals and then starting the next season, which is is crazy. Um, But you also have the fact that it's 72 games in a very shortened time period. So Yes, the NBA chopped off 10, 10 games off the normal 82-game schedule, but they shortened the, the number of months of the season down to six months to get in a full season and playoffs. So that means more games in a shorter period of time, more four games in a, in a week and five games in some situations, more back-to-backs, things like that at play. So there is going to be a need for teams to have depth this season, and the Lakers will certainly have to do that as well. They'll have to deal with it. The younger players can probably handle it because that's what you do when you're, when you're 20. Um, but the, for the older players, they're going to have to be smart and make sure that they are as fresh as possible for the playoffs. And from a kind of team perspective in, in terms of the Lakers dealing with um, the coronavirus, um, what are their plans for having fans in the stands? Because I just heard with the Golden State Warriors, they're looking to possibly have 50% capacity and, and them trying to test um, every fan, every um, team personnel, everybody basically in that building for every game. Um, is that only – is that really just an unrealistic goal or is that can be a framework for other NBA teams to follow? I don't know. You know, the Warriors have this plan they unveiled and they've been, you know, investing in it for a long time now. I would imagine most other NBA teams probably have not been been doing that sort of thing. Um, It does seem unlikely there's going to be fans in the building at the very least to start the season. Certainly not full capacity. capacity. I don't know about getting to 50 percent, but so much of this is in flux at this point. And that's been a point of contention from the players. Like they don't know what to expect. Um, We thought that the NBA was probably going to try to cut down on travel. And now that part of the schedule has come out in terms of how many games they're going to be playing and where, it sounds like the travel's not cut down all that much. They're going to do a few things here and there, like trying to, you know, if you go play, let's say the Lakers go and play, I don't know, the the Sacramento Kings, um, just to pull a team on the hat. If they go up to play the Sacramento Kings, they'll play them 
Friday and Sunday of on one trip instead of playing them once and then going back a few months later. So they'll try to limit travel in ways like that. But like Jared Dudley told me the other day, guys are going to get COVID this season. Like there's, there's no way around it. And so the hope is that at some point they can, they can figure out some sort of solution and maybe get fans back in the arena. But until then, it's going to be something they're going to have to deal with and they're going to have to be diligent about. And that's the teams, that's the players, the organizations, and that includes letting people into the building. So they're adjusting on the fly and, and we'll see what the, what the final protocols look like before the season starts. Mm. Trevor, I wanted to move back into kind of Lakers free agency. It's, it's always so interesting to me every single year when, when you have a new champion or a repeating champion, um, you know, players have all different expectations and, and we've seen maybe no greater example of that with, you know, Rondo playing such a crucial role on this team with his leadership. Uh, there, there was a story I heard earlier in the year, and I, I'm sure you can add more to this than I can, but, but essentially about him being able to kind of mediate between LeBron and the other players on the team. Um, like, for example, you know, kind of talking to LeBron about, let's say, Kyle Kuzma missing an open three or something like that, just as an example, not, not to rip on Kyle or anything like that. Um, and then LeBron maybe giving him a look and Rondo being that guy who could talk to LeBron and say, Hey, you know, do you know what you're doing to him when you're looking at him that way? You know, you're, you're shooting his confidence for a couple of days. Um, so, so I just kind of wanted to ask, I mean, obviously with Dennis Schroeder being a, a huge get this past week, um, do you think that, I mean, obviously he's bringing more scoring potency to this team, which could make them even more dangerous offensively as an opponent. Um, and it, it seems that Rondo's probably going somewhere else um, would, would be the assumption with them bringing Schroeder. Um, can you speak to how they might miss Rondo's leadership and how that compares with, uh, I mean, all the positives that they're getting with Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, so Schroeder can give you a lot more on the floor right now than Rondo can. And that's not to say that Rondo was bad last I mean he was he was not great during the regular season. There's just there's no way around it. He was defensively, he was he had issues there. Advanced stats show that he rated out terribly on the defensive end. Uh his lack of three point shooting was a problem in terms of the spacing. But then during the playoffs he picked it up and we saw playoff Rondo show up and that's where and he really paid off having him on the team. He was a major difference maker during the playoffs. And so that was, you know, the regular season was forgiven and, and forgotten. Um, but over the long haul, yeah, Schroeder's going to be the better player on the floor right now. It's just what he is. Rondo's a legend. Uh, he's been great in the NBA, but Schroeder's going to give you more on the court. Off the court, though, like you mentioned, Rondo, uh, he'll be a big loss. Like he is, he's a guy who can explain and break down plays on a level that a lot of guys can't. Uh, he's a guy who will do that all day. That's what he does is just constantly break down, break, uh, breaks down film. He is known as one of the smartest players in the NBA for a reason. And from what I've heard, he, I don't know if, if he really ran the meeting, but he really took over after game five, the loss to the Miami Heat in the finals and took kind of put forth the plan that he had formulated in order to deal with Jimmy Butler. And part of that included himself picking up Butler full court and other guys taking him full court. And so the team really kind of uh, built off of that. And then the defensive game plan they had in game six against Miami was, I mean, it was incredible. It was probably the best defensive performance we've seen out of the Lakers this season. So that kind of gives you an, an idea of the kind of impact that Rondo can have with just his intelligence 
Um, again, his skills on the floor are going to diminish because Father Time is undefeated, but he is, he's a brilliant player off the court. And so at some point, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, uh, he is going to make one heck of a coach. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, real quick, just kind of maybe, you know, lightning round style. I uh, just wanted your thoughts about, you know, Kyle Kuzma is, is a player who's polarizing to, I think, the fan base and the NBA at large. Um, and, and he's someone who hasn't maybe been able to spread his wings all the way, you know, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James kind of taking up that that power forward position a lot of time. What are your thoughts on his status with the team? Um and then also uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and uh, Markeith Morris. Uh, what do you think uh, their status is with the team as well going into this free agency? Well, we know the Lakers would like to bring back as many of their guys as possible. With Kuzma specifically, Rob Palenka was asked about that uh, yesterday. And he said they haven't sat down with his represent- representatives yet to discuss an extension. Now, that doesn't mean he, you know, he isn't aware of what it's going to take to extend Kyle Kuzma. Uh, but Kuzma does have another year under contract at $3.5 million. So if the Lakers decide, hey, we want him to be part of the team long term, they're in really good position to make that happen. Uh, now, Kuzma was playing behind Anthony Davis. Uh, he did have a, a great, great, great attitude all season. I was so impressed with him. He took the glasses half full approach and said, look, I know my numbers are going to drop. I know I'm heading into an extension year, and this could cost me money in the near term. But long term, I'm going to learn so much playing behind Anthony Davis that I'm perfectly happy staying with the Lakers. Uh, they won a championship. Now, does that dynamic change? Does he decide, okay, now I need to go put up the big numbers that it's going to take for me to get a big contract? And remember, he was a, a late pick in the draft, so he didn't make a bunch of money. So that, that could become a possibility. But we'll see what happens with him. I know the Lakers do like him. Uh, Markeith Morris is, uh, is another guy they'd like to bring back. But again, the question is price. At some point, something's going to give. They can't bring everybody back from this season, so it'll be interesting to see who they prioritize here. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, a clutch sports client, with Avery Bradley also on the free agent market, and Danny Green already out the door in the shooter deal. You would think they have to prioritize bringing back KCP, but mm-hmm. the question mark is, of course, how much is it going to cost to do that? So, um, you know, how many of these guys come back? I think KCP is, is certainly – High on the priority list. Kuzma's already under contract unless the Lakers make a trade. Markeith Morris, I have a feeling he's going to have some other suitors out there, but we'll see what they do. The ideal scenario for the Lakers would be to bring them all back, though. Trevor, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Please plug where our listeners can find you on social media and anything that you're working on for either at the end of this year or 2021 that we should keep our eyes out for. Sure. Yeah. You can find me, uh, find all my work at LakersNation.com. And I, I post a lot on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. I do video breakdowns every single day. I've got new videos going up there, especially right now. We, it is, it is pre-agency period. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm putting out there every single day, breaking down all the different rumors and, and then how the salary cap would work and how the Lakers can swing different deals and, and that sort of stuff. So you can find all of that over on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. You can also uh, subscribe to the Lakers Nation podcast, which I host. Uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, pretty much wherever you find podcasts. Awesome, Trevor. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Trevor.